morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence with us. We celebrate the joy of great things. Um, individuals who join our body officially uh, because they love you and serve you and want to be a part of serving this church. Uh, more excitingly, we celebrate uh, people who enter your kingdom that have come uh, to know your love and have responded in repentance and faith and have become your children. We're grateful for that and we celebrate it with hearts of praise and honor and glory to you. I pray that that miracle would just continue to take place even in these days as we think more focused and deeply on what you've done. And those who know of you but haven't come to know you would know that joy, that love, and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 1, says this, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and once, at once you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, tell them that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your kingdom come, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their coats on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna! To the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowd answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. My father, in spite of his age many years ago, was uh, on the front end of the whole computer movement. Uh, some of you don't appreciate the day when uh, you could put a lot of labor uh, into a computer that was in front of you, usually with, um, you know, uh, floppy disks that big that later got a, like, that big. And um, you could put a lot of work into that and then lose all that information. Anybody remember those days and the angst of that painful moment? You have got to be kidding me. Now, you know, usually there's some way of getting that back. So this may be a little lost on you, but my father had on the monitor of his computer, Hosanna. Now, my father loved Jesus more than anything, but really what he meant was the transliteration of that word, save now. <laughs> That's what Hosanna means, save now. And uh, it's been since April, April of last year that I heard something that I have been wanting to steal all that time. And that's exactly what I'm doing this morning. Chuck uh, Nelson, one of our elders, he's here this morning. We'll see whether he thinks I do justice to his thoughts. But he offered a devotional at one of our elder meetings on the significance of this day, Palm Sunday. And I'm stealing it. And he gave me permission. So there we go. Chuck posits this question. 
that this is always a special season, but I can't help but feel that one day gets consistently overshadowed in the potency of the others. Palm Sunday, or the triumphal, the day of the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem the week before his crucifixion. I think that many dismiss Palm Sunday as the day when the fickle multitude cheered the one whom they thought would be king only to turn against him a few short days later. A story of the ultimate hypocrisy of mankind. And perhaps it is, and there's a truth to that. But he says, I also think it's much deeper than that. I agree. You see, God doesn't do anything by accident, does he? Nothing God does is accidental. In Ephesians 1, he tells us, he chose us in him before the creation of the universe. So, there is something very intentional about a God who has you and I in mind before he creates anything. So this, is, this day is no mistake. It's here for a reason. All four Gospels record this day, so it must have made a significant impression on each one of the Gospel writers. Chuck goes on to say, I've always been intrigued by the imagery and symbolism of the palms. It's much more than a, just a children's Sunday school prop. Not only is Palm Sunday an event that is recorded in all four Gospels, but I became fascinated when I realized that the waving of palms before the Lord was not or was far from a singular event. So what would the lesson be in that? What does God intend by this specific day and this holiday? Well, in a word, he wants us to remember. And many of the festivals were like that. There are different things he wants us to remember, and that's what I want us to reflect on today. In Leviticus chapter 23 is the beginning of the creation of this remembrance. And uh, we find a long passage of many instructions about God and, and what he wants his people to do that he gives to Moses, including the establishment to observe a number of religious festivals. One of those commanded festivals was the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles, which was the last of the fall feasts, and it was a joyous celebration of the harvest, yet also a time when the people of Israel were commanded to leave their homes, to come to Jerusalem, and they were required to build for themselves shelters or booths which, which, in which they would live for seven days of this festival. And this was to remind them of their nation's humble time of traveling through the wilderness, living in tents and depending upon the Lord every day for his provision. Now, do you get the picture of this? This is camping as a spiritual discipline. You didn't know that, did you? Now, I don't know if you can recognize anybody in that picture, and now you're not going to be hearing anything I say because you're going to be trying to figure out who's in the picture. Yes, I'm in there. You'll notice the year over on the right, 1983. Best of luck finding me, okay? But, uh, and I'm going to explain a little more about this uh, in a minute. But camping does something for us. There's a change that takes place, doesn't there? Usually towards simplicity. 
And uh, it's a break of our routine. It's a reminder of, a, of another time, you know? You take your kids along, and you're like, you know, people used to actually live like this, you know? Oh, but my phone's discharged. Yeah, they didn't have phones, you know? And you kind of go through this change and this simplicity that becomes a lesson in appreciation for what really matters. And actually, in appreciation, you know, we all get to move back into our comfortable homes and have the hot shower, and I'm glad that's over with, or whatever, and we appreciate more what we actually have. Well, for some reason, in the establishment of God's plan and His intention, we've been doing this kind of thing ever since. I I don't know whether this is the biblical root of camping today, but if you're big into camping, maybe you want to take that and say that. Um, But I do know that this kind of thing has been used in people's lives for many, many years. In fact, more than 50 years ago, a man of some means in Brooklyn, New York, uh, purchased a couple of acres in the Poconos, and I came along, you know, some years after that, was a part of this church, and for four summers that I, uh, that I was able to participate, we took about 30 boys between 8 and 18 up to this place. The one you saw before was Girls Week. We did that as well, but um, that one kind of died out. The girls weren't as excited about this as the guys were. Uh, but every year we took these boys from uh, New York City up to this beautiful little, well, this rustic little couple of acres, and we lived in these things. They called them semi-permanent tents. Uh, They were just tar paper roofs with canvas sides and a little platform. And these kids who were not afraid to go out at night in New York City at midnight, at 8 o'clock in the middle of the woods, were terrified. And it was awesome. We did some of the coolest things at night with these kids to scare them to death, which was, you know... Cruel, I know, I realize. But, but more importantly, actually, getting away in this change and this simplicity and this slowing down gave us an opportunity to talk about the things that really mattered, mostly the person of Jesus Christ and what he had done uh, for each and every one of us. And this Feast of Booths was something like this. It wasn't a solemn festival, nor was our camping. We had a blast, um, I, I'm afraid to think of some of the things we did. We, every night, we were broken into teams. We would make fires. Well, every team wanted to make a bigger fire than the night before. Literally, I mean, it's frightening to think. We had them that stacked six, eight, uh, actually 10 feet in the air, lit them on fire. I mean, trees were just going like this from the draft of the flames that were created. Why we didn't burn the whole place down, I have no idea. By God's grace... Uh, We didn't, but it was an amazing experience, and young people for years came to the Lord through this time, but it wasn't solemn. It was a wonderful celebration of who we were and what God had done, and that's what Leviticus says. Now, on the first day, you shall take for yourselves foliage of beautiful trees, palm branches, boughs from leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. Thus, the practice of waving palms before the Lord became a centuries long practice of the Jewish people. And this was far before the God-man entered the city of Jerusalem on a donkey's foal. But he did. And in John chapter 21, it tells us, they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Say, now. Now, we know where that led because he he didn't save them the way they wanted him to. 
But let's focus on the occasion of joy. Why? Because he means for us to remember some things. Remember who you're dealing with. The intention behind this kind of focused behavior is to remind us of what God has done. And change can do this, particularly a change towards simplicity. It brings focus, doesn't it? It brings clarity as we just kind of move out of the way some things that clutter. It lets us hear. Because God has done such an amazing job of communicating his word to us, the Bible, in such a miraculous and complete way, and we can read it, I'm convinced that until the day when he returns, he doesn't yell anymore. He did. It was a day in Moses' time when the people couldn't stand his voice anymore and they begged for a prophet so that they would just listen to the prophet instead of God. God, in revealing his word to us, so complete, it's so good, it's all so there, he wants you to read it and listen. So I don't think God yells. And you, if you're going to hear him, have got to get quiet enough to hear that's a little bit about what this kind of thing can do for us too we shut up long enough to listen it brings this kind of simplicity this kind of stopping brings gratitude the experience of less helps you understand the value of more now in the last few years we've taken the entire Lenten season to try and do this in one way or another just to kind of help you this year we decided to focus on this specific week and that's why you've received this in your bulletin and if at no other time we encourage you this week to do something really simple this is called the seven mile miracle and if you open it up you'll see it says over there together as a church As a uh, church family, we want to journey with Jesus down the seven-mile road. This is kind of a metaphor with the the disciples who walked along the road with Jesus between Jerusalem and Emmaus. It was about seven miles long. And as you work through this, you're going to work through the seven statements of Jesus, his last words on the cross. Do something really simple this week because in its simplicity... I think you will find great profoundness. So I encourage you to do that. Do something simple so that God can speak to you about what is actually very, very profound. Remember who you're dealing with. This is why. Because before we get to the solemn, I want you to understand the sufficiency. This is the king of glory. This is the creation of uh, the creator of the world. This is the sustainer of all creation. And before he goes there, and in all of the solemnity that we're going to celebrate on Thursday night and Friday night, before that, he tells everyone, this is how good he is, Before in those circumstances you get lost in the dark, don't forget, I am the light. I'm the king of all glory. I'm the creator and sustainer of this universe. I am going to do this, but when it's happening, don't forget who I am. Remember who you're dealing with. 
In the dark hour, you need to remember the light. If he's the Lord, the King of Israel, the God of all creation, you must understand in the circumstances of later this week that God is still God. And that's true for any of us as we think through these things, right? We get lost in our circumstances. And as fickle as these people may have been in their feelings and their thoughts about Jesus saving them in that moment, they still said what God intended them to say, that he is the king of Israel. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Nothing changed between in, in who Jesus was. Nothing changed between Sunday and Friday. Only the circumstances changed. So remember who you're dealing with. Some of us may not know who we're dealing with. And that's the difference between someone who knows who Jesus is and who knows Jesus. And there's a difference. Lots of people know who Jesus is. People who have come to understand that he is the king of all glory, that he came to take my place and to die on that cross for me, not just mankind, though he did, but for me, because I am a sinner and have responded in faith to say, will you save me? Have cried out, Hosanna, not like with the crowd, but by themselves. Oh God, save me. Those people are miraculously changed by a God who in his grace responds to that faith and says, you're now my child. Now you're mine. That's somebody who knows Jesus. And I would just hate for anybody to think that because it's here today, to to think just because they know who Jesus is and what he did, that's good enough. He offers a gift of salvation, but a gift is only a gift if you receive it, if you take it. It only becomes yours when you respond and say, I need that. I just want to make that real clear so that we understand who we're dealing with. And then I want you to remember something else. I want you to remember who you're worshiping. In the time of Christ's entry into Jerusalem, this practice still remained of the palms, and the symbolism of the palms actually had grown. In Greek and Roman culture, the palm had become a rena- uh, re- renowned for uh, being a symbol of victory. Cicero referred to a man who had won many prizes as plurimarum palmarum. Now, you know I'm stealing this stuff from Chuck because, you know, I'm not that smart. But that's a person who's a man of many palms. It's this symbol of victory. Matthew Henry says, Christ was now by his death to conquer principalities and powers. Therefore, it was fit that he should have the victor's palms being waved. Whether they were waved by fickle hands or not, they represented the victory of Christ that was about to come. Over death, 
and hell and the grave. In other words, remember who you're worshiping. He is worthy of honor and worth and praise and sacrifice and renewed resolve to follow him. He's not just God because he's good. He's God because he's great. And I mean that in the biblical sense. Awesome. What is there about your behavior every day that demonstrates that you believe God is awesome? You know, it's more common for us to demonstrate every day that God's some kind of, you know, savior for us. Oh, help. You know, Tim was right. We're alive. Because God made us alive in Christ Jesus by this act of faith. That's awesome. That's eternal. There's no greater thing, right? What about your life exudes that? I mean, can people see that? He's our friend, no doubt, because he came near, but he's more than that. He's God. All capital letters, I like to say. God's intention in this day Whatever level of hypocrisy or misunderstanding or misdirected expectations these people had, his intention, whether they knew it or not, was that they would worship him. That's what we have to recognize. We are created for. This is not just the the waving of a palm. This is the walking of our lives, doing all that I do all that I am, all that I have to make him greater. He is to be worshipped. Have you lost any of that? He's great no matter what you do or don't do with your life, but you can express his greatness through any number, a myriad of ways in your life every single day, if you will, if you'll choose to, if you'll decide to glorify God in all that you are and all that you have and all that you do. You can, because that's what you were created to do. That's what you were meant to do. That's what we're going to spend all of eternity doing. So remember who you're worshiping. And then I want you just to remember that we're not done. The cool thing about this palm uh, devotional that caused me to steal it from Chuck is this next point, because I'd never seen it. How dare he? I'm the one with the theological education. I never saw this. So it wasn't just that they did it in Leviticus so that they would remember what God did in providing for them, or that they did it on Palm Sunday so that God would be worshipped that Christ would be worshipped as the king so that they would celebrate the sufficiency before the solemnity. But there's also a promise for the future. This scene of heaven is recorded in Revelation chapter 21. After these things, 
John says, I looked and I beheld a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and tribe and people and tongue and the rest of the phrase to me is just whoop, 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 whoop because I'm so big on reaching the world for Jesus Christ. Because of the last two weeks of our celebrating our investment in the global endeavor to reach everybody with Christ. I, because I, I, I'm looking forward to that day when every nation, people, tribe, and tongue is represented there before the king. So I never kept reading. Check it out. And they were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. When he started the passage, and reading it in the devotional, <laughs> I was like, the palms aren't there. They are! How cool is that? Because again, what's the point? The point is that he is king and he is the victor. He wins it all. And when that's true, we win. Palm Sunday shouldn't be looked at as some kind of secondary holiday, kind of a warm-up for next week. It is a day worthy as any to celebrate the unmatched, intentional, irreversible, completed, victorious work of Jesus Christ. We're not done. I mean, we aren't even close to being done because if he wins, we win. Well, what does that look like? Let me just give you a few things that even Chuck posits as, as victory. Eternal life as certainty. Isn't that victory? The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Eternal life. No question, no doubts. I don't know if I might be able to get into heaven, sort of, maybe. He bought it. He won it. And it's available to anyone who will believe in him. That's victory. Death is a conquered enemy. He will swallow up death for all time, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from every face. Death is now nothing but a passage into something so much greater. Why do we fear it anyway? We're, we're so afraid of death. There's no reason to be. I guess what we're afraid of is the process of dying, right? Okay, I get that. But that's conquered. Paul even writes in the resurrection passage, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, but the power of God. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory in our Lord Jesus Christ. And then we get an inheritance. We're co-heirs with Christ. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love which he has for us, even though we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. With Christ, By grace you have been saved. And raised up with him and seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You are a co-heir with Christ. You get his inheritance. There's temporal victory over temptation, sin, and the flesh. John says, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that's overcome the world, our faith. 
in the one who conquered it and gives us life and power over sin. And then there's so much more that we do receive. We've been looking at in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit and the filling of the Spirit and the sealing of the Spirit guaranteeing us that day. We're new creations. We have sonship as fellow heirs with Christ. We have freedom to live victoriously over sin. We have an invitation to the wedding feast. We will see him face to face. We will be witnesses of the new heaven and the new earth and we will live together with God for all of eternity. And then John writes, and he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of water life without cost. He who overcomes shall inherit these things and I will be his God and he will be my child. Remember, we're not done yet. This is all yet to come is true now and is only going to get even better. So in the light of all the Savior's done for us, don't let the opportunity of Palm Sunday pass. It is a glorious day to celebrate his indescribable eternal victory that he won on our behalf. A simple palm that says so much And isn't that just like God? Listen, he takes the most profound things like this that's full of so much meaning that I've tried to show you different aspects of, right? He he takes this incredibly profound truth that we're going to explore for all of the rest of eternity and then he renders that unmistakably understandable in the most simple way for the most feeble or fantastic of mind. You could be brilliant and you're struck by this truth. You could look around and say, everybody else scores high on the SAT, not me. And you're struck by this point. That's just like God, isn't it? To take the most profound truths and make them unmistakably understandable to anyone who will listen. So, before the solemn, know the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior of this world. He is the creator and sustainer of this universe. He is the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords. In what he was what he faced, he was sufficient for accomplishing completely. In the darkness of those moments, never forget the light. Because your circumstances will turn that way, won't they? We get into times we just get totally lost in our circumstances. Know the reality of a God who's sufficient. Maybe you're just completely lost and you don't get it. And and you're just lost in the dark. You gotta know. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords has come to this earth. And he came to take your place. And he did it and he accomplished it. And he offers it to you as a gift. Don't leave it sitting on the table. You gotta take it. Accept it. We are saved 
by grace through faith. A response of ours that says, I believe what he did was enough. No more of me. No more I'm going to try a little harder. No more, okay, thanks for taking care of some of my sin. I'll take care of the rest of it. He is enough. Don't just know who he is. Know him by grace through faith. Maybe, maybe your life needs to be represented in a white rose. It's possible. Finally, worship this king. And if all of this is true, and it is, worship this king with all that you are, all that you have, and all that you do. Let's do that right now. Pray with me. We worship you, our King. For truly, that is what you are. Thank you for not only being good, but being great. Loving us that much so that we might through faith and faith alone become your children, co-heirs with you, victors over death and hell and the grave. Oh, we worship you. And we will for all of eternity. In the name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.